Hey folks, welcome to the Sermon MP3 from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. This is Sunday, September 19, 2021, and this Sunday, the Reverend Paul Enns is going to come and he's going to share God's Word with us today, continuing our series called Jesus Changes Everything About Me. And this Sunday, his message is entitled, The Supremacy of Christ in Me. May God bless you as you listen. It's great to be in God's house. Let's, let's take a little time to talk to the Lord. Father, we need you. Every hour, we need you. And it's a happy day because you washed our sins away and because we have come into union and communion with you. Jesus, you change everything about us. And we're so grateful. And Father, we come, your word says if we confess our sins, you're faithful and you're just and you forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, I know this week, man, I sinned. I was so angry and upset about things going on in this world and different things that have been decided. And and Lord, I, I completely lost connection with you because I wasn't conscious and aware of your presence in me and my need for you. And so, Lord, collectively we come, and I, I don't presume upon anyone's sinfulness or sins, but we come together and we confess, Lord, that many times we're unaware of our union and communion with you. And we pray that this morning, through your word, you would make us much more aware. And it wouldn't be just something here for half an hour and then be gone, but that it would become an ever-increasing part of our walk with you. To realize that it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's Christ in us, our very life. It's everything Christ in us. And so I pray that you would anoint your word and your servant and your people and that we would hear you this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, I I come looking from the outside in, but I understand that the church family and especially Pastor Mike and his family celebrated a great event yesterday. Right? Amy and Andrew Magnus. Union. The two become one. And it's stated in Scripture, and yet it's something that kind of goes beyond us. And if my limited understanding of Scripture, that that word, that union, means that they're, they're glued together so they can never be separated. They literally become one. And so this morning, we want to talk about Jesus changes everything. And if you have your bulletin, pull out the, the, the outline isn't written in there, but you can jot down a few notes and especially the scripture passages that I will refer to. But when Mike and I talked about this, we talked about who is Christ in us and who are we in Christ? And, and that's really what I want to focus in on this morning, the supremacy of Christ, because he is supreme over all, but this supreme, all-powerful being who we sang about, who spoke the worlds into being, he lives in us. Amen? 
He lives in us. I can't get my brain around it. I, I can't adequately uh, uh, speak about it or explain it, but we want to at least give it a try. It's Christ in us. So Jesus changes everything. Last week you heard about how everything about us needs to change in order to see God. Because we, uh, we were in darkness, and then when we come to know Christ, we're in the light. We were dead in our trespasses in sin, and then when we come to know Christ, we, we become alive in Him. We were disconnected and separated from Him before we came to know Him. And then when we came to know Him, we come into intimate communion and relationship with him and he lives in us so this is this is amazing so everything about us needed to change and then we 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 need to see ourselves how we how we need to change the way that we see ourselves and and line up with how god sees us because sometimes we make these all these transitions and they're made they're legal transactions in the spiritual realm. But we continue to see ourselves. We continue to see ourselves not the way God sees us, but the way we see us and the way the world sees us and the way the enemy says he sees us. And so we become a new creation. And then, as we begin to see that, he changes everything about us. And it says, uh, Mike said last week out of the scriptures, Christ in you, Jesus changes everything about you and, and, and he becomes in you and to you what you've never been before and, and how we wake up in the morning and how we think our thoughts through the day are informed by how God sees us. So this we want to add to that and expand that a little bit, Christ in us. So, before we answer the question uh, that is, who is Christ in us? We need to, and this will be your first point if you want to write it down. Christ is in us and we are in Christ. Christ is in us and we are in Christ. And so it's not, it's not just a kind of a, a airy-fairy uh, spiritual out there idea. There is a literal spiritual union and transaction that takes place when we move from being in darkness to light. When we move from being dead in our trespasses and sin to being born again. And this amazing union results in the image of God being restored in us. And, and it will also free us from the power of sin as we appeal to his very life and his very presence to triumph over our sin because he is in us. So in the New Testament, there are, there are many, many passages. But I want to read four or five of them. And I want you, if, you, if closing your eyes helps, do that. If not, just, just listen. But jot them down. If you have a pen and a piece of paper, you know, I often don't take notes, but they say it goes, percentage of being able to remember and apply goes up exponentially when we jot a few things down. And you can go back and you can meditate on these scriptures this afternoon while you have your matashlop or where you're doing other things or after lunch, whatever it is. But John 16 and verse 20. And listen. Okay, just listen to the word. 
John 16, verse 20, Jesus is speaking. On that day, you will realize that I, Jesus, I am in the Father. And that you, he's speaking to to his disciples and to those who would follow who are believers, and that you are in me, and that I am in you. Everything changes. He becomes part of us, and we become part of him. The self-sufficient, self-existent, eternal, all-powerful, present everywhere God lives in you. Do you think about that? Do you meditate on that? Do you let that run through your mind day by day? Do you let that come up in the morning or at noon or at night? This is what God wants us to be dwelling and thinking on. Okay, that was John 16, 20. John 14, 23. All of these speak about our union with Christ and Christ with us. John 14, 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If a man loves me, he will keep my words or he will obey my commandments. And my father will love him and we, father and son, will come to him and make our home with him. God's home is in you and me. Union with Christ. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. That's a historical spiritual reality. When we, when we come out of death into life, we die to sin and we die to self and we come into a new birth and into the life and power of the spirits. I have been crucified with Christ, the Apostle Paul said. Nevertheless, I live. And then he qualifies it. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's not me who's doing the living. It is Christ. This this is the core, this is the center of the scriptures and also of our historical roots and our background in the Christian Missionary Alliance is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So in order to experience that life in him, then faith and trust and we must believe what he says and walk in that truth. Union with Christ. Colossians 1.27 To whom God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles or the nations the glorious riches of this mystery. It's a mystery. If you say to somebody, Jesus lives in me, and they go, well, you're a little strange. They say, explain it. I say, sorry, it's a mystery. It's a mystery beyond our understanding how the eternal God in the form of Jesus Christ, can live in me and you. It says, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Union. The two shall become one. Inseparable. John seventeen twenty one. Jesus in his prayer. We're going to read four verses. John seventeen twenty one. 
Jesus is praying. He says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they, that's believers, that's us, that's anyone who's come to know Jesus, may they also be in us. This isn't some secondary, second-rate kind of union. Jesus said, he said, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us in the same way, after the same manner, after the same likeness. So I don't know if that doesn't blow your mind. Nothing will. You say, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, we understand because they're perfectly holy. They're perf- perfectly righteous. They've existed forever. They're, they, of course, they're in union and unity. But Jesus said, just the same way, Father, me and you, may they be in us. Union. And then he goes on to say in 22, 23, and 26, I have given, of John 17, I have given them the glory, that's the manifest presence of God. I've given them the glory that you gave me. Ha. We have Christ's glory. He gave it to us. I've given them the glory that you have given me, that they may be one. As we are one. And then verse 23. And I, Jesus, in them. And now he's, he's, now he's moving it around. He says, I, Jesus, in them. And they in me. And 26. And that I, Jesus, myself. May be in them. We could close the Bible up and the books up and go home right now if we learn just that one thing this morning. If we come a little closer, if we go a little deeper, if we press into that, if we wait and ask the Lord to reveal what that means in ever-increasing degrees. There is a literal spiritual union between God and us. We live in union and communion with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They make their home in us. They find their expression through us. And it is the very life, their very life, that gives us life. 2 Corinthians 4.11 says that the life of Jesus might be made manifest or shown or made real in our mortal bodies, in our physical beings. Ephesians 3.6 says, Christ dwells in your hearts through faith. I, you know what? When I read this, when I meditate on this, when I meditate, I don't mean, hmm, I mean just think about it, pour it over and over. Okay? When I think about this, it seems like heresy. It seems, it seems like way too good. There is a reason that the gospel is called the gospel. Because it's really good news. It's not just... And we're going to get into that. I won't go off to that. It, it, it's not... I, I, it's, it's an established fact. It's a reality that we need to become aware of. But as Pastor Mike, he, he talked about it last week. We are loved by God, but many of us don't feel or sense or believe that we're loved by God. For many of Christ's followers... They've never become aware or the awareness is very low. And they haven't begun to live in the reality that this entire Christian life is to be summed up in this phrase, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have it. And sometimes we don't realize it. There was a very, very wealthy man who liked to collect art, rare 
forms of art, expensive forms of art, and he heard about this piece. So he called his curator, or whatever that person is called, up, and their whole job was simply to go around the world and find these rare pieces of art to add to his collection. And so he called him and he said, I want you to find this piece. It doesn't matter how much it costs. It doesn't matter how far you have to travel. It doesn't matter how, how long it takes. I want you to find this piece. And so away he went and, and, and went looking all over the globe. And I, I can't remember how long, but it was a significant time later that he came back and he came to his boss and he said, I have good news. I have found the piece. And, and, the, and, the, and, his, and his boss was so excited and he, and he said, come on, tell me the story. Where did you find it? What happened? He said, well, I searched all over the place and eventually I found it in some of your storage facilities. It was yours all along. It was in your possession. Jesus Christ is ours all along. He is in our possession. We are in his possession. And sometimes we go searching all over the place for other things. For something that we have already received. That, that one is kind of serious. The other one is a little more humorous. I have, I have some friends and... and uh, a couple, and she happens to be the one who does the yard work. She enjoys it and works with it. And, and you know, they had had this lawnmower for five or six years. And she said, you know, just last year I realized this, this mower is really hard to push. Like, and I'm getting older and it's more difficult. And so she goes and talks to her husband and, and she explains. She said, I think I might need to get a new lawnmower because I, I, can, hardly, I can hardly push this thing anymore. Her husband kind of looked at her with a funny look on his face. He said, honey, let's go outside and take a look at that. And they went out and, and he started it up. And he said, you see this lever right here? This is self-propelled. You just got to squeeze this thing and it'll basically drive itself. Oh, she laughed and laughed and laughed. And we laughed when she told us the story. She was in possession of something and never, never, ever lived with the reality of it. Let's look into the scriptures. So that, that, that was the first point. The first point is we are in union and communion with Christ. It's a fact. It's clearly laid out in the scriptures. We read the scriptures. They were there. So, so that, that's a fact. The second one is, but, but who? So, so we are in Christ and Christ is in us. But who? Is Christ in us? And this, don't worry, we could stay here till Jesus comes back exploring the scriptures. We will go home for lunch, don't worry. But we're going to look at, at just two verses. If you have your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. And we're going to rest there for a little bit and look at four or five things that this scripture tells us about who we are or who is Christ in us. So who we are in Christ, we heard a little bit about that last week. We are God's child. We are Christ's friend. We are bought with a price. We are his beloved. We, we need to learn and grow and see ourselves in that. But then we also need to learn and grow and see who is Christ in us? Who is Christ in us? So verse 30 says, It is because of him, that's God, that you are in Christ Jesus, okay? And that little phrase, for the next rest of your life, okay? For the next rest of your life, 
as you read your Bible, pay attention to that little phrase, in Christ or Christ in us. It's repeated over and over and over again. And that's what reveals to us and shows us the, the magnitude and the magnificence of our relationship with Christ and Christ in us. Okay? It is because of him, God, that you are in Christ Jesus. That's the transaction that's taken place. Who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. We want to look at those four things. Who is Christ in us? Christ is wisdom in us. He has become for us wisdom. It doesn't simply say, and this is not just, you know, well, that's, you know, not an important detail. This is a very important detail. It doesn't simply say that God gives us wisdom. He does give us wisdom. But it doesn't simply say that. It's much more specific and revealing. It says that Jesus has become wisdom for us. And this is is the center of the Christ life. It's not that Jesus just comes and gives us things. He becomes those things in us because we're in union with him. We enter into union with Christ. He's the source of all wisdom, and he is resident within us, and his wisdom becomes ours as we listen to him and navigate life. Yes, we ask for wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Yes. Yes, we diligently study the scriptures and meditate especially on the Proverbs, which is the greatest book of wisdom ever written. But foundational to all of that, that we have this this author of wisdom living in us, and we can speak with him and he with us at any moment and expect the wisest counsel in the universe. We ask him to lead us into wisdom. Or maybe better stated, we ask to live out his wisdom moment by moment that he is in us. Okay? Remember, everything has to change in order to see God the way he is, in order to be transformed. Pastor Mike said that last week. Because the image, the likeness of God is clouded, and, and choked out. All you got to do is look around your world today. Just go from here and live out the rest of your day and you will see. That everyone is made in the image of God. That's what the word says. But it's clouded and choked and marred. And so the manifestation of his wisdom through us is the restoration of his image within us. Okay, if you're making notes, he doesn't just give us wisdom, he becomes our wisdom. That's on all of these points, okay? Christ is righteousness in us. It says, he, Christ, has become for us wisdom, that is, he has become our righteousness. And again, we remember the fall, the brokenness of man, and the image is marred. The word says it over and over again. No one is good, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The heart is 
is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? All of that is true on this side, outside of Christ. But when we come into relationship with him, all of that is changed. And we, we acknowledge our separation from him because of sin. And we come into this new relationship and he becomes our righteousness. I don't know how many ways, different ways we can state it, but hopefully one of them will click with you. Literally, when God the Father sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Any of you mess up this week? I did. This was a particularly bad week. And God forgives. But when the Father looks at me, he says, I see the righteousness of Christ. He's resident within us. He has paid the price for our sins, it says in Galatians 3.13. And he dwells or lives in us. And it says in Jeremiah 33.16, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your righteousness. So we emphasize once again, he doesn't just come to us and say, here, I'm going to give you some righteousness, or even I'm going to give you a lot of righteousness. He says, I am coming into you, and I am righteous, and I become your righteousness. There is nothing more encouraging than that. I don't know if you say amen in this church or not, but there is nothing more encouraging than that. Because we mess up and we sin and we fall, but as we become aware of his presence within us and we cease striving, but we allow him to be our righteousness, we actually live out a more righteous or holy life. Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our wisdom. Christ is our holiness. We sang about it. I need you, oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. That's a a fabulous song because every hour we need to be reminded by the Spirit and by the Word that we're not holy But Christ is holy in us. How many of us have tried to be holy? I have. How's that going for you? How many of us have tried to be set apart from all that is not of God? I'm not making fun of cooperating and stepping into what Jesus is doing. But in and of ourselves, we can't do it. We've tried not to sin. Even the Apostle Paul said, what I want to do, I don't do. And and what I don't want to do, do, I do. And then he said, what am I going to do? Who can deliver me from this? Thanks be to God, Jesus. There's no condemnation. Because he is our holiness. Now, Jesus said to us, be holy just as I'm holy. And it almost appears that he is giving us an impossible task. You say, well... I can't be holy like you, God. He says, yeah, I actually can't. But if I come and dwell and live in you, you can receive my holiness. Outside of Jesus, living in holiness is impossible. But the very command of God to be holy because I am holy is made possible through God's amazing plan to take up residence in us, to live in us in the person of Jesus Christ. He is holy, and because he lives in us, we are holy. 
We're positionally that, and experientially with our actions and attitudes, we become more and more like that as we walk in that. Once again, God doesn't just give us holiness. Third point, same point. He doesn't just say, come and say, here's some holiness for you, and when it runs out, come back for some more. No, he, he says, I have become your holiness through Christ. Okay? Any of you encouraged? I pray that we are. Jesus is our righteousness. It says you are in Christ, that's the union, who has become for us righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And redemption. Okay. Unpack that word just a little bit. Have you ever been in a position, and I know these are trite illustrations. They don't come anywhere near the magnitude of what we're talking about when we being redeemed in Christ. I know, but just to try to understand. But how many of you ever been in a position where you were not able to pay what you owed? Anybody, anybody like that? Possibly all of us at a different time or another in some way. In the last couple of weeks, I don't know what happened, but twice I invited, I invited one person out for coffee and one person out for lunch. And when I got there, checked my pockets, and I had no wallet. I was in a position where I was not able to pay what I owed because I had invited. I fully intend to pay for, what, for our time together. And I felt foolish and I felt embarrassed. But I had no other recourse of action other than leaving my watch, but they might not have t- accepted that. I had to appeal to those that I, had, I was meeting with and say, could you pay my debt? I'm really sorry. I'll, I'll get this next time. Could you redeem this situation? Buy it back. Because they were gracious, paying a debt that they didn't know, I was able to go free, so to speak. Remember the broken, marred image? Everything in us needs to change in order to see God and to be seen as he sees us. Well, the payment for the restoration of that image in us of God was beyond what any human being could ever pay. And so God stepped in. He sent himself in the form of his son He paid the debt on the cross for our sins. And that would have been amazing. That would have been over the top. But he didn't stop there. He said, if you will invite me in, to each each person on this planet, he said, if you will invite me in, I will step in. I will set up my home in you and in your heart. And I will be the resident redeemer. Applying the once for all payment of his crucifixion to any accusation of the enemy when he says, you owe me. Anybody experienced that this week? I did, because I sinned badly, and the enemy said, you owe me. You dirty, rotten stinker. And Jesus says, I will be a visible reminder to you that your sins and the consequences of your sins have been paid for. Jesus didn't only give us a little bit of 
redemption. Say, so I'll cover that and when you need more. Come back. He said, I am going to be your redeemer. I'm going to pay what you cannot pay. And I'm going to live in you and be that moment by moment for all of eternity. Okay? So our first point was we are in union and communion with Christ. We're connected. It's, it's a fact. Second is, who is Jesus in us? He's wisdom. He's righteousness. He's holiness. And he's redemption. And in these days and times that we live in, I feel like it's, it's not from this, but we want to take just one more. He's our peace. Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. If you have your Bible, just flip there. Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. How many of you, I mean all through life, it's not like the last 18 months has had a monopoly on our hearts, all through life, but especially in this turmoil that we're in. How many of you have had a lack of peace at times? Yeah, I have. Ephesians 2, 13 and 14 says, but now in Christ Jesus, remember I said, read your Bible until, you, until Jesus comes back, paying attention, noting, underlining in Jesus, in Christ, Christ in you, there it is. And Ephesians, there's dozens of these, so if you really want to soak into it, just read the book of Ephesians. So it says, remember, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, have been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's his work. For he himself is our peace. Same point. He didn't come and say, here, I'm just going to give you some peace. And when you run out, uh, you come back. He said, he himself is your peace. The immediate context of this passage tells us that we were enemies of God because of our sins. And as soon as we were reconciled to God and our sins were forgiven, the broken relationship was restored and we not only have peace with God, but we have the peace of God. The Prince of Peace. He's called the Prince of Peace in Luke 9, 6. And this Prince of Peace lives in us. He comes in, makes his home in us. And from that point on, the very peace of God becomes ours. Now, when you do like I did this week and ran off and got worried and concerned and anxious about it, I don't experience his peace then. <laughs> I've got a really good wife. She's like, I know everybody thinks your wife is best, or if you don't, you should. Uh, but sometimes I get all worked up, and and I tend to be a little bit of a... My kids call me a drama king. Anyhow, uh, I, I tend to overreact maybe at times or whatever. But my wife continues to say, well, maybe you want to spend a little time with the Lord on that. <laughs> and, and this is what he's calling us to. We're tempted towards worry. We're tempted towards anxiety, concern, turmoil. We need to begin to meditate and think on and believe that the Prince of Peace is within us. Make sense? Do you see how this all pulls together? I hope, I hope it fits into the flow of what God has been leading Mike to preach. 
and uh, Christ, we have, point one, we have and are in union and communion with Christ. Point two, Christ is in us. Everything. And what we've looked at is he's wisdom, righteousness, holiness, redemption. He's peace. And the final point, if you're jotting them down, is what happens, knowing these things, what happens as we live this out? He dwells in us because he enjoys communion with us. He finds a resting place in us so we can be at rest in him. He comes into us not just to change us, which he definitely does, and that is absolutely necessary, but he comes into us to enjoy us, to share life with us. I don't know if you've picked up on those, that part of the scripture. The enemy will try to keep that far from you. But it's absolutely necessary. John chapter 15. And so if you want to write down, just write John 15. And this afternoon again, go and read the first 20 verses. Because I'm just going to pull out verse after verse and mention a few things. John chapter 15 says, <clears throat> verse 4, it says remain. That means abide, dwell, live in. Jesus is saying, remain in me and I will remain in you. He's resident. He's with us. This remaining produces all kinds of things. 15 verse 5 says, if you remain in me and I in you, you're going to bear much fruit. Just by abiding, just by resting in him, good fruit begins to be produced in our lives. This is what happens when he lives in us and we live in him. There's good fruit. Next, this remaining, abiding, dwelling, living, opens the door for Jesus to answer any cry of our heart. 15 and verse 7 says, If you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be yours. <laughs> I've heard guys joke about it and say, Why is it when I ask God for a Ferrari, he doesn't give it to me? But when I ask for... For perseverance in times of difficulty, he always gives it to me. Uh, maybe there's a remaining, abiding, learning to know what's on his heart and stepping into that as opposed to just our own materialistic desires. So there it is. This remaining is like soaking in his love. Verse, chap, verse 9 of chapter 15. So as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Have you ever wondered what kind of love Jesus has for us? I can guarantee, well, maybe I can't guarantee, but for me, the enemy has told me a million times, ah, his love for you is kind of inferior. It's kind of partial. It's kind of based on what you do. It's kind of all this stuff. The word says, as the Father has loved me, Jesus speaking, so I have loved you. The same kind of love that the Father has for Jesus, Jesus has for us. It's not tainted. It's not reduced. It's not minimized. It's not conditional. It's perfect. It says, for as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now just remain in my love. I read an article uh, about a month ago <clears throat> that made a big impact on me because it talked about 
It, it challenged me. The, the, the gist of the article was, will you spend a chunk of time a day just sitting and receiving God's love? Not praying, not asking, not petitioning, not reading, not, not just sit and receive the love of God. Oh man, I'm lousy at it. I didn't realize how lousy because I want to go and I want to pray and I want to petition and I want to listen and I want to do this and I want to read and I just sit. Remain in my love. Next, it says this remaining, abiding, living, dwelling in him results in the very joy of Jesus becoming our joy. Okay? So that's another thing we didn't preach on, but it's there. John 15, 11 says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus is our joy. This remaining, abiding, living, dwelling in Jesus changes our status with him. Verse 15 of chapter 15. I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. We, we don't live in a culture, in a place where we'd say, I have a servant. But there are places in the world where they have that. And the culture of the time, in biblical times, there were servants The closest I can come to that is we lived in Mexico. And in Mexico, if you had any money at all, it was a a cultural expectation that you would hire someone who was poor so that they would have employment and that you could see some things taken care of in your home. So Lola came to us. I'll never forget it because we didn't know any of this cultural stuff. We were quite ignorant on this stuff. And and we said, well, would you like to have lunch with us? And she said, "Um, I, I will continue to do my work. I'll eat after. And then one time we said, well, why don't you sit down and have a cup of coffee? We'll just visit a little bit. And she said, you know, I, I, I think I need to go and do this. By God's grace, Lola came to know the love of Jesus. She became part of the family of God. She became part of our family. Then we would sit around the table and we would eat together. And she would come and talk about what Jesus is doing in her life. She went from being servant to being friend. Many of us. Though we are friends, though we are children, we continue to live and act as servants. Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that. This communion, this abiding, this living, this dwelling in Jesus says, the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. Chapter 16. This one is the only one from 16. With this we wrap up. Verse 13. And the Holy Spirit takes the person of Jesus and all that he is and makes him known and real to us. Verse 15 of chapter 16. I, I, this is totally out of the context of the scriptures, but I feel like the Lord is saying, if any of you are afraid of the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit, the focus and the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit is to make Jesus real to us. That's all. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. As we abide in Christ and Christ abides in us, We're empowered. We're empowered to live a holy life. And we live in constant communion with him. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. It's a fact. Christ in you are the things that we talked about. Righteousness, sanctification, holiness, redemption. And what happens as a result of it? You live in this communion and abiding presence of Christ and all these good things that we just mentioned out of John chapter 15 come to you.
Father, <clears throat> only, only you, by your Spirit, can take these things off of the written page and make them living words in our hearts. And you have so much that you long to give us. And you have so much that you long to share with us. I pray that we would open our hearts. And Father, this church, you want this church to be full of people walking in the fullness of Christ. And having everything changed by Jesus. That's our longing. That's our prayer. We ask you, Father, to respond to that longing and that prayer and make Jesus real to us. Amen. <laughs>